After nine weeks on marriage, I wouldn't, you know, to people who, the majority of whom are single, I wouldn't be so stupid as to do nine weeks on child rearing. Uh, I mean, I, as somebody said, you already pressed your luck a long, long way. And uh, I wouldn't do that again. So what we're going to do is just tonight take a look at uh, the next passage that we come to in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. And I'm going to read it. It has to do with parents and children. Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, if you're a real old-timer at this church, which means uh, if you were here when we got started approximately two years ago, fall of 89, started morning worship services, you might remember I did a series on the Ten Commandments. Why I felt the need immediately to preach in New York City on the Ten Commandments, I'm not sure, but I did. And uh, uh, one of the very first Ten Commandments is, honor thy father and mother. And some of you may remember that uh, I spoke, therefore, on this subject and even this passage way back then. The thing that surprised and shocked me at the time was the powerful response to, to the exposition. It wasn't so much the powerful sermon. I remember that I didn't really like the sermon. I didn't know the sermon very well. But the, but the, the subject matter amazed me at, at how it, uh, uh, the impressions it made on people. And I began to realize the reason is this. There's never been a time in our history in which there was more emphasis put in our culture on understanding your relationships with your parents in order to understand yourself. There's a tremendous amount in our popular culture of emphasis on your relationships to your parents and your family background and, and how you feel toward your parents and, and, and how they treated you and now what that has meant to you. Now, I'm sure that 10 years from now we're going to look back at this time and, and figure out that we overdid it and we put too much emphasis on it. Uh, uh, Martin Luther says you can typify all of history as a drunk person, a man who, who, who having gotten up on his horse, having fallen off his horse on the left side, gets back up on the horse and falls off on the right side. And he says basically you can understand all of history, you know, all intellectual movements, uh, using him as a, as, a, as a model. And the fact is that, that that's just the way things go. You go crazy saying, oh, I have to understand my relationship to my father, to my mother. That's the whole reason I am the person I am today, because I had this awful relationship with my parents. Probably 10 years from now, we're going to see that that's, that's not the end-all and be-all of understanding yourself, but it's an important emphasis. Oh, my, yeah. Because biblically, your relationship to your parents, in some ways, your, uh, you might say honor to your parents... Is, is second only to honor to God. Plato himself said, in the scale of human decencies, honor of parents is second only to honor of God. And it makes sense because next to your relationship with God, it's your relationship with your parents that really has had the big, will have and has the biggest impact on yourself and who you are. The parents, the parents lay the first foundation 
And so uh, when you see the scripture and you see the importance of relationships between parents and children, you realize that though maybe the current movement of talking about your, your family relationships and how important that is, it may be that that's gone overboard, but it's, it's, uh, it's an emphasis that's necessary and very helpful. Now what we're going to look at, very, very, which is very important, is what the Bible says that both children should give parents and parents should give children. What the Bible says children should give parents right here is honor. If you look carefully, you'll see that there's really a, an application and a general principle underneath the application. When Paul says children, he's using a word that literally means non-adults. He's talking to kids. He's not talking, you know, all of us are children. Every one of us has been a child except those of us who were hatched, and I guess even those who were hatched must have had a mother. Uh, you know, the point is we all, have chil- we all are children. No matter how old you are, you're a child of somebody, uh, even if that person's passed along. But the point is that in this case, Paul's talking not to children in general, but to, to particular young kids. He's talking to youngsters. And he says, obey your parents. And the reason, he says, you should obey your parents is the commandment, one of the Ten Commandments that says, honor your father and your mother. Now, I want you to na- notice that the commandment itself does not say, obey your father and mother. That's not anywhere in the, the, uh, that commandment. It says, honor your father and mother. And Paul is applying this general principle to this particular situation. He says kids have to obey their parents because all children have to honor their parents. Therefore, you have to be careful and make sure you look and see the distinction between the application of the principle and the principle, which we're going to look at in a moment. Then secondly, Paul turns to fathers or to parents. Now, I'll mention later on why I think Paul mentions fathers here as opposed to fathers and mothers. But anyway, he does. And he says, he gives them a negative and a positive command. He says, don't provoke your children to anger. But instead, now that word instead means that if you fail to do what I'm about to positively enjoin upon you, you will negatively provoke your children to anger. He says, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up with two tools, training and instruction. Bring them up. If you don't bring them up, and that's what parenting is all about, you will exasperate, you will lead your children to anger. So what are fathers to do? What are parents to do? Bring them up. What are children to do? Honor. And that's all I want to do is I want to look at this. Now let's start with the children. Because whereas only some of us in this room are parents, all of us are children. So I think that's the most important thing to start and ask ourselves, what does this command require? Why does it require it? And how can we uh, give it? How can we obey it? See, the what of the command, the why of the command, and the how of the command. Let's go. The what. What is it that this commandment actually presses on us? Well, let me tell you some of the things that that the fourth commandment does not command. It does not say... Love your parents. It does not say, trust your parents. It does not say, admire and enjoy your parents. And it doesn't say, even, obey your parents. Why not? Here's why. First of all, this is a commandment. Now, the Ten Commandments are the ten principles that you're supposed to build your entire life on. They are absolute principles. They are true for everybody at all time. They're the ten principles on which you can build an entire life. 
on which a whole society is supposed to be able to be built. And to say, love your parents, in the sense of feel affection for them, would be impossible in certain situations. Why? Because some parents are evil. And it would be stupid and wrong to feel affection for an evil person. Or in some cases, uh, uh, oh, oh, let's go on. Another thing it doesn't actually uh, uh, command is to trust your parents. Why? Because some parents are unstable and they're not trustworthy. And to trust them in some cases would be stupid and wrong. It doesn't say admire your parents because in some cases that would be impossible without actually uh, denying the truth. And it doesn't say obey your parents because the Bible wouldn't lay that down as, a, as an eternal and absolute rule because your relationship to your parents changes. See, that's the reason why it doesn't say admire or love or trust or, or obey. Because a relationship with a parent is a very complex thing. First of all, it goes through tremendous changes. When you are one month old and when you are 50 years old, when you look at those two cells, you see how different you are. And the way a one-month-old relates to a parent and the way a 50-year-old relates to a parent is tremendously different. And the Bible tells us so. It tells little children to obey their parents, but it also says, as we saw you know, earlier, last chapter, the Bible says there's a time in which you must leave your father and mother and cleave unto your spouse. Which means the Bible actually says there's a time in which you've got to get out from underneath your parents' authority. You've got to leave your parents. And, and we even spent some time, I forget which of the nine sermons on marriage we spent time on, we spent time saying why the Bible was so wise and saying it's bad to stay under the authority of your parents as an adult. And we talked about all the pathologies that come up. So the Bible isn't going to say obey because sometimes you obey and sometimes you don't. The Bible's not going to say love because some parents are evil and some parents are wonderful. It's not going to say trust because some parents are trustworthy and some parents aren't. But the one thing it does say, and let's get to that, what does it say? It says honor. No matter who you are, no matter who your parents are, no matter what condition you are in, every child must always, under all circumstances, honor their parents. And you have to distinguish that from all these other things. It's extremely important to distinguish it. If you don't, your conscience will kill you. You see, what does it mean to honor? Honor is a moral choice. Honor has nothing to do with your feelings. One writer says, if I can find it, one writer says, honor, yeah, honor is the unsentimental moral nucleus for your relationship with your parents. That means everything else may change. Your parents may be trustworthy people and later on they may deteriorate. Your parents may be authoritative, and then later on you can't be under their authority as you grow up. Your parents may... And all sorts of things change. You know, your relationship with your parents are changing constantly and totally. But there is a, a nucleus. One thing that's always true. It's unsentimental. It's a matter of a moral choice. It has not got to do with your feelings or your conditions. And the Bible says, or this guy, this one writer, says that the Bible says... That, that honor, therefore, is the unsentimental moral nucleus for your relationship with your parents. We're not talking about the gaggy platitudes of a typical Mother's Day card, even though your mother loves those things. That's not what honor is. Honor is a decision to treat your parents with dignity and with courtesy, and it's also a decision to provide long-term loyalty, long-term loyalty to their best interests. It's a decision. And you've got to make a distinction 
between obeying and affection and trust and even intimacy and confiding in them and honor. You can give a person honor without all those other things. And you must. Otherwise, for example, adult children have a lot of trouble distinguishing these things. A lot of adult children who've got manipulative, controlling, or even abusive parents say, if I honor my parents, then I'll come back under their authority and I can't listen to them anymore. I can't, I can't let them control me anymore. If I honor them, then I'll be under them. That's not true. You don't have to listen to them. You don't have to approve them. You don't have to confide in them. You don't have to listen to what they say. And you can still honor them. You can still treat them with respect and dignity. You can still show them that kind of loyalty. Adolescent children make the opposite mistake. Adolescent children say, well, I'm obeying my parents. I've got to obey. I'm knuckling under. But I don't have to honor them. I don't have to be courteous. I don't have to show them respect. If I'm going to obey them, that's enough. They can't punish me for being sullen and cold. And it's true. You can't punish a child for being sullen and cold. But even there, in the same way, you're missing it. It's the honor that's the most important. In fact, the obedience is supposed to come out from under the... It's supposed to flow out of the honor. You have got to make this distinction or your conscience will kill you. Because there's plenty of reasons why you can't listen to your parents once you grow up. And in some cases, if your parents are... are, Especially, for example, what happens? You come into the Christian religion and your parents think that you're absolutely crazy. What happens if you find your parents were, were, had very distorted understandings of relationships and when you finally came out from underneath them and you realized uh, you know, how, how uh, uh, pathological those, that, that was, the uh, guidance you were getting, you no longer can listen to them in this way. And so what you very often do if you've got those kind of parents is you do two things. One is in self-defense you get very cold, you cut them off. You belittle them when you debate with them. Or... You stay, completely cal- you stay completely tied to them, completely under their thumb. And the Bible says you should not do either of those things. You should not listen to them. You should not obey them. You should not listen to their authority. But you have to be respectful. You've got to treat them with dignity. And you've got to show them as much as you possibly can. Loyalty. If you don't make that distinction, your conscience will kill you. If you don't make that distinction, your, the relationship with them will continually explode. And if you don't make that distinction, society falls apart. Because frankly, it's respect for parents that's the basis for every other kind of respect, respect and every other kind of authority. But that's, that's really another, that's, a, that's in a sense a tangent. What does this command require? It commands honor. All children of any age, in any circumstance, regardless of how their parents are, you must honor your parents. Now, why? Now, I'll try to be more brief on this, but it's intriguing. Why would God command all children to honor their parents? And the answer is there in the text, but you kind of run right by it. There's a lot of people that say the reason the children must honor their parents is because of the mystery of blood. Now, this is my own flesh and blood. Now, this is a very, very, in many, in many cultures, in many cultures, there's supposed to be an awe that you feel before your own flesh and blood. And an awful lot of people, a lot of your parents will use this on you. This is my own flesh and blood. You came out of my body. You know, that means, that means what? Now, this is not a particularly biblical sentiment. 
Lots of cultures, lots of ethnic groups, lots of other religions put a big deal on that. But in the Bible, adoption is central. And the Bible says the fact that this person, uh, that you sprung out of the flesh and sprung out of the loins of this person, is not really the, the thing that, that ties you. Honor is a moral choice. It's not the mystery of blood. I mean, just people get so excited about finding their real father or their real mother. mother or uh, uh, people who get very much into pedigrees and lifelines and bloodlines. That's all a very unbiblical sentiment. Your parents are the ones who have raised you. Your parents are the ones who, you've res- who, who uh, are the ones, well, as we're going to see in a minute, are teaching you and are bringing you up. And biblically, an adopted father, an adopted child, is just as much a real family bond as a, quote, natural or biological one. That's very, very important biblically. There's no religion that puts adoption in the center like the Christian religion does because, you see, we're adopted. And the Bible again and again says that I love you, God says, the way I love my real son. You're a member of the family. I accept you in him. I don't play favorites, you see. And so, you know, we've been all through that, but that, and we can get back to that in a second. And the, main, the main point is, some people say, well, it's because that's your own flesh and blood, that's why you must honor. And some people say, well, because parents, uh, parents are wiser than children, which we all know isn't necessarily true. Oh, yeah, early on, but some parents are so foolish that the, the kids, you know, pass the parents in wisdom and knowledge somewhere around the age of six. That's true. And, every, and that's, that's possible. And therefore, it's wrong just to say it's the blood thing or it's the pragmatic thing. No. The Scripture gives you the reason why you have to honor your father and mother. It's right there. It says, for this is right. For this is right. That there's a moral order in the universe. There's a tra- Look, the traditional family was an authoritarian family. The father in many cultures, had the right to kill the children, had that kind of authority. Now, that's an utterly unbiblical kind of authority. The Bible and nowhere countenances that sort of thing, but that was the traditional father. And it was bad enough, but when the Industrial Revolution really broke our backs on that approach, because in the Industrial Revolution, for the first time, the father left the place where the children lived in order to make money. See, before the Industrial Revolution, the father and the mother both did economic productivity. If they were farmers, they both farmed. If they were, you know, uh, shoemakers, they both made shoes. Uh, And so both the father and the mother were both, husband and the wife were both doing economic production, and they were both raising the kids. Once the Industrial Revolution came, you had the father had to leave, and so for the first time, and it's not a biblical distinction, you have the man's work, which is to go make money, and the woman's work, which is to raise kids. Now, it's very clear that raising children is not women's work. Otherwise, when God addresses parents and tells them how to raise the kids, he should have addressed mothers. I mean, if this was America, right? He would have said, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Mothers, raise your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's the way America is. That's not the way God sees it. Fathers and mothers have an equal responsibility. What happened during the Industrial Revolution is the father became totally alienated and remote from child-rearing and nurture. And so when you put the authoritarianness of the, of, the, of the traditional family along with the remoteness of the industrial father, you've got fathers who are alienated from kids, wives who are tremendously embittered, and children who are embittered as well. And so we've just thrown off the whole idea of authority. And the modern notion 
of a, uh, of a family is fairly simple. Back in 19, the late 70s, the Carnegie Foundation for the family came, up, came out with, a, with an enormously influential report. They did this massive study of the family, and they came up and said the traditional idea of parents as teachers, parents who teach the children how to live, we have to reject. The world is too complex. And the Carnegie Foundation said, instead, parents are more like executives of a large corporation, delegating and making sure everything gets done. Parents' job is not to exercise any authority. And you can see this in all the PET, the Parent Effectiveness Training Books in the 70s and 80s. Parents are to exert no authority, but instead only emotional support as they take their children to the people who know where and what the children should be learning and doing. Take them to schools, take them to camps, take them to educators, take them to psychologists, take them to child development centers. The parent's job is to give emotional support and not impose any values or any, anything like that on the kids. The Bible rejects both the authoritarian model of the family and it rejects the support model of the family. It tells you right here why the parents are supposed to be honored, what the job of a parent is. Listen. Just as we said, the essence of marriage, and so many people have still walk around saying, gosh, I never thought of that. The essence of marriage is friendship. Bottom line, among everything else, the essence of marriage is the person you marry has got to be your best friend. The essence of being parents is to be a teacher. The essence of being a parent is to be a teacher. The traditional idea of, of just being authoritarian, you know, children are to be seen and not heard, children are supposed to listen to their parents because, because I'm your flesh and blood and I know... The Christian model of a parent uh, is a parent has supposed to have enough authority to teach the child what is right and wrong, to teach the child what is, uh, what, what is valuable to do in life and what is not. And the purpose of the parent's authority is to raise them up, to get them out from under their authority. The only authority the Bible recognizes is a servant authority. When you are committed to getting a person raised up into critical freedom, into the place where you're standing on your own. When, when I have that kind of attitude toward you, then you owe me as a pastor what? You give me authority. You take me seriously. But you take me seriously as long as you see that I'm there to raise you up, to teach you what I know, in some ways to make you less and less and less dependent on me. That's the only kind of authority that God ever really recognizes. The whole idea of the parent is to raise up the child, not to keep the child dependent. To get the child up and out. To get the child to the place where he or she can make decisions for him or herself. And therefore, the whole purpose of authority in the family is so that the parents can be teachers. See, the whole purpose is to raise them up in the training and in the instruction. And I want you to know this. A parent who has given you bad instruction, who has taught you the wrong things are right and wrong, that person has not really abdicated, that, that mother, that father has not really abdicated their office. Even when, when a child senses, because this is the way God invented the family to be a, a learning institution, when the child senses that the parents really believe what they're teaching them, the child learns to trust the parent and actually begins to grow up and become mature and eventually gets to the place where they can even, in some ways, reject many of the teachings that the parents gave them. It's the parents who teach the kids nothing. 
It's the parents who abdicate their office, who really destroy their kids. Back as, as early as the 50s, Emil Durkheim was, was studying teenage suicide and says the, uh, the, the kids that kill themselves are kids that are experiencing anomie, A-N-O-M-I-E, which literally means lawlessness. A sense I don't really know what is right and what is wrong. It's better to give the kids a bad set of instructions than none. And see, because when you give them none, then the kids, then the parents are abdicating their office. This is the reason why children are supposed to honor their parents, to give their parents the, uh, the platform from which to do this important job. If fathers and mothers do not raise their, par- their children up, it provokes them to wrath. Now, I know some of the people here in this room, almost for sure, have been through this. If your fathers and mothers don't raise you up, you experience anger. You become a sullen person, a bitter person, a broken person. Well, how can parents fail to raise up? Well, take a look at these uh, two words. It says training and instruction. The one word, it's unfortunate. They're lousy. It's a, it's, it's a lousy uh, translation in, in this sense. The word training literally means to discipline. It means to hold someone accountable. It means to hold their feet to the fire. It means to punish. But the word instruction is a wonderful word. It's the word nutheo, which actually means to counsel. And if you want to know how to exasperate children, you do it this way. You can over-discipline. That means put all the emphasis on training with no instruction. All discipline, all rules, and not the personal. Or you can under-discipline, and that's where you're always talking to the kid, always being personal, but you never come down on them. Always, always uh, reasoning with them, you see. Did that make you feel good to smash that piano? <laughs> you, see? You, know, you can over-discipline or you can under-discipline. Or, look, another way to put it, you can raise, the, you, you can, you can raise your children, but not up. There's plenty of parents who raise their children to keep them dependent. If you do that, you're disobeying what the Word of God says parents are supposed to do. On the other hand, there's other parents who never raise them up. They just let them out on their own. Some of you know what that means. Your parents were too messed up. They had too many conflicts between themselves. Uh, They had too many personal problems. And as a result, they couldn't teach you. They couldn't do the very thing that God says all parents are supposed to do. And that is to tell your, parent, their, your kids stories and to say, this is what I believe. This is what's right and wrong. This is what's valuable. This is what's worth doing in life. And I want you to see it too. If your parents were too, if parents were too lazy, if your parents were too undisciplined, if your parents were too troubled, if your parents were too messed up to do that, you weren't raised up. You were basically on your own from the beginning. If you're on your own from the beginning, or you're kept too dependent, you see? If there's over-discipline or under-discipline, if there's, too much, if there's too much training without the instruction, too much instruction without the training. In all these ways, you can fail the office, and you can harm your child, and put anger in that child's life. Now, we come to the last issue. If honor is so important... How do you give, your, uh, how do you give your, uh, your parents honor? Now, the reason I like to finish with this, you know, you say, well, here's, there's, there's a verse on children, there's a verse on parents. Why not spend more time with the parents and talk about what is over-discipline and under-discipline and, and what does it mean to raise up the children too little and too much and so forth? And the answer is, well, a lot of you are parents, and I'd love to talk to you, but a lot of you are not. And so let me close with this. What does it mean 
to honor your parents. How specifically can we do it? Here are some very important ideas and rules, I think. Number one, you honor your parents by finding the culturally appropriate ways, first of all. There's all sorts of ways to show your parents the courtesy. If it means remembering their birthdays, if it means the the place of honor, if it means calling them when you don't feel like it, There's just tons of ways, and I don't even know what they are, but you see, in your case, because everybody comes from a different culture. There's a funny story about King Darius, who was the king of the Persians, and he, he, uh, at one point, was trying to find out the best way to... uh, to bury, to, to uh, do funerals and honor, honor parents. So he brought the Greeks in, and he knew the Greeks cremated their, uh, their dead. And they said, he said, what, how much reward would I have to give you in order to get you to eat the bodies of your fathers and mothers when they died? And the Greeks said, no amount of money in the world would ever bring us to eat the uh, bodies of our fathers and mothers. How could you even say such a thing? We cremate them. Then he brought in a group of people from another Near Eastern country who when their fathers and mothers died they ate their bodies because they felt that was the way that they, they were taught in their culture that was the way you showed respect and honor and you, you took into them that was the mystery of blood stuff you see you took into them their, their, uh, their life force somehow and he goes to them and he says I'd like to ask you a question how much of a reward uh, would I have to give you to get you to burn the bodies of your fathers and mothers. And they said, no amount of money in the world would ever bring us to burn the bodies of our fathers and mothers because how could you say such a thing? How could we dishonor our parents like that? Of course, they do eat them. Which, which just goes to show... Which just goes to show that, you know, customs differ. And all I was trying to... <laughs> all I'm trying to say is you've got to figure out what makes your parents feel honored. You know, you think, well, the only way that my parents are ever going to feel honored is if I agree with them. But there's all sorts of ways to honor your parents without agreeing with them. You know, you you can't sit there and nod your head and agree with everything your parents say. Now, you, you know, unless they press you, in some cases there's a lot of things that go by, and one of the ways to show honor is not to argue with them over every little thing. Show them respect, show them honor, but find all sorts of culturally appropriate ways. Another way to honor your parents as I said, is finding the culturally appropriate ways to show courtesy. But another way is to respect... Let me see if the best way to put it. Another way to do it is to respect their need to see themselves in you. Now, unless you actually have kids as well as have parents, you won't quite understand this, so let me put it this way. Uh, there's, a, there's a place in the Bible where it says, uh, Jerusalem... Uh, Jerusalem, you will wear your sons like ornaments. And I remember reading that and trying to understand it. The first time I went to uh, an awards assembly for one of my children who was in first grade and had made some kind of honor roll and was one of only four children that had made honor roll every single time, and I went and sat in this little elementary school gymnasium. Hardly any parents really were there, and we sat there, and up comes my kid along with three or four other kids, and everybody applauds them. And for the first time in my life, I suddenly realized that, you see, if, why did I feel so honored by that? Why did I feel so good about that? Why did I feel that if my son looks beautiful to the world, he is telling the world what I'm like? And if my son looks like a fool to the world. If my son is wicked to the world, he's telling the world what I'm like. 
I suddenly realized that my heart and my reputation was bound up in him, and it was, it's part of the mystery of what God has uh, created when he created the family. Now, until you begin to realize that, until you begin to realize that, you won't realize the need for your parents to see themselves in you. And that means, especially since in many cases you have to disagree with them or even oppose them in certain areas, that you, you don't realize how important it is to give them credit where you can. You don't realize how critical it is just to say, you know, everything I really ever learned about saving money, I learned from you. It, to, to say, you know, Dad, that was one thing that you always taught me that I really, really appreciated. You know, you may have the kind of relationship with your father that he would just about fall over and faint if you said something like that. Why can't you? What makes you think that because in so many of these major issues you can't find ways to say, to show that, you, that, that there is something of them in you, to say, this is what you're like. This is the good thing that you gave me. They need to see themselves in you. Don't be afraid to let them see it. Don't be afraid to point it out. That's, another, that's a second way to honor them. Third way to honor them is to forgive them. And here's a mystery. In many cases, the thing that you most need to do is you've got to be free from your need to please them in order to honor them. One of the reasons, and this is the last but most important thing I have to say here, is even though, it doesn't, even though Paul doesn't say it, remember at the, end of the, at the end of the marriage thing, he says this is a great mystery. But marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. Well, in the same way, this is a great mystery. And that is the relationship between your parents and you is a picture of your relationship between God the Father and you. Put it this way. Every human being was built for family love. You know what family love is? Unconditional love. A love that you can be absolutely sure of no matter what you've done. And, and I don't know that I can say most, but in a tremendously high number and percentage of families, parents are unable to give that to their kids. In some cases they try, but what comes out is you haven't, you haven't measured up. You've disappointed us. You haven't gone to the career we wanted. You haven't married the person we wanted. You have, you, you, you know, you're not religious enough. You're too religious. What's happened is what you wanted more than anything else is you need family love, and family love is unconditional love, and you've been looking for it like crazy. And your parents, in many cases, were not able to give it to you, and therefore, you can't believe that you're lovable. And you need, and you're driven by the need, to prove yourself to them. And because they never, ever, ever can be pleased, you are angry at them, and you can't forgive them. Now, here's what the secret is. The only way to really honor your parents is to be free to displease them. And the way to be free to displease them is to go get what you've always wanted from them from God and stop blaming them for not being able to be God. The only place you can get true father love, the Bible says, is in Him. If you want to understand father love, go look at the parable of the prodigal son again and you see it. There in Luke 15, you've got a son who rebels and goes off and takes his inheritance and squanders it in riotous living. And he comes back, and what do you see? The first thing you see is the father comes and jumps on him, pounces on him, and loves him, won't even let his repentance uh, prayer get out before he says, 
You're alive. You see, the Father's love is unconditional. The Heavenly Father's love is completely unconditional. It's based not on your perfection. It's based on His perfection. And so the mark of real father love, an experience of father love, is you suddenly realize for the first time, I have nothing to prove. Do you realize that? Nothing to prove. The day that you know that is the day that your relationships with your parents will be transformed. The day you stop letting them be God in your life is the day that you'll finally be able to honor them and forgive them. Because you see, I've met the real father and I have nothing to prove anymore to anybody. I've got access to the real father. And therefore, I have confidence in prayer. I know that he's in charge of my life, and therefore, I'm not afraid no matter what happens to me. Is that true of you? Until that's true of you, until you can say to your parents, not probably to their face, but until you can say in your heart to your parents, you used to be God to me. That's the way it's supposed to start. You stand in the place of God. You show me something about the, the order and authority in the universe. But the trouble is you're still God to me but no longer. I am done being upset about the meanness and the lack of love in my family. I am done letting you still be an angry God that I've fallen into the hands of. And I'm continually experiencing your wrath. I'm going to the real Father, and I'm going to experience His love until I have nothing to prove to anybody. And then finally I'll be free to honor you. The reason a lot of you can't honor your parents without agreeing with them is because, you see, you're so, you're so ticked, you're so mad. You're so mad at having to prove yourself to them until you're free from their judgment. Through an experience of the love of the Father, you're never going to be free to honor them. Are you to that place yet? Have you experienced the Father's love like that? Have you really seen that through Christ you can belong to the Father? Honor your parents, for this is right. And the only way to honor your parents is to receive the unconditional family love of God. Do you hear that? You see why we don't... In this way, I mean, sure, you can have nine sermons on child-rearing, but this is, this is the nub of the thing. Until you've gone to the real Father in Heaven, you're going to have a lousy relationship to your parents unless your parents were those rare people, by God's grace, who really gave you, essentially, an unconditional love. Some of you have received that and that's, that's, that's wonderful. I'm glad that you've had such a sort of, in a sense, a, a, a scar-free life. But I suggest to you that even they cannot really forever be uh, a, uh, a source of warmth in, in your life. When Jonathan Edwards, one of my heroes, died, he was an amazing guy. He, uh, he, uh, his, his, only one of his daughters was there and all the rest of his, his children and his wife was not there. So he says, I know it won't last the night out. And so he turned to his daughter, uh, Lucy, I think it was, and he says, take this down. And he says, first of all, tell my wife that the uncommon union, which is so long has subsisted between us, is, I think, a spiritual one, and therefore one that will last forever. And he says, and I want you to tell your other brothers and sisters that it's about time they look to a father that does not die. And I see, he was a perfect father. He was a great father. And his children were strong people, and, fa- and his grandchildren were strong people, And yet he had to charge them at the end, repent. I am not the real father you need. I've just been a channel for the love that comes from the Heavenly Father. Now that the channel is gone, you've got to go to the source. 
You've had lousy parents. You've had great parents. The command of the Lord is, seek the real father, or you will not really be able to honor your parents. You'll either hate them or you'll idolize them. You've got to be free from your need to please them so that you can truly honor them. Go to the Father. Jesus Christ, we're told, gives you the power to become the sons of God, those who believe on him, those who who receive and believe on his name. He gives power to become children of God. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for all of the remarkable the remarkable uh, wisdom of your word. And we thank you that in the parable of the prodigal son, we see that the, the true elder brother, the one who really, really has brought us into the welcome of the Father, is your son, Jesus Christ. He's the one who had to give up his ring, his robe, his fatted calf. It all belonged to the elder brother. Jesus Christ is the elder brother who does not begrudge us these things but who says, come and receive the welcome of the Father. It's through Jesus Christ that we finally can understand what it means to be loved by a Father. And Father, we need that. So I pray that everybody in this room might be freed from their past and might be freed for the future because they know what it means to be your children. And Father, those of us who are going to be parents and who are parents, we pray that we might use you as the model. We might be both humbled and encouraged that we can be parents like we should be because you are the parent that we need. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.